0: got got
1: got got welcome 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 my name is neda Johnson
0: and I'm Brianka Wright
1: and this is higher unlearning
0: the space where we analyze and reflect different concepts and structures which affect blackness y'all we
1: made it the last episode <laughs> of our first season thank y'all for making it with us you know for coming for this long ride but we made it we touched a lot of little nuggets, you know, broke somebody's heart at some point. It's fine. It's, <laughs> it's all a part of the dialogue. And growth.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So as you may have realized throughout this entire season, the overarching theme was breaking down systems, different systems. We didn't touch on everything, but we did touch on a lot of different systems uh, that have been built and that are continuously being cultivated here in the united states so we wanted to take this last episode to kind of really wrap up what system what does it mean for a system to be in place and the difference between systematic and systemic oppression i'm gonna let you
1: <laughs> <laughs> explain all right that. uh if you came even, if you could tell from the beginning the words are way too close together which makes it which is the reason why it can be kind of confusing to understand mm-hmm. most people understand systemic racism as institutionalized racism um that is the general idea that's the general term and it's easier to say than systemic especially when you're comparing it to systematic so give you just the definitions of each systemic also known as institutional racism refers to how ideas of white superiority are captured in everyday thinking of a system level so, you know, you're looking at the big picture of how society operates rather than looking at the one on one interaction to give you a little bit more, I guess, context. So something that is systemic affects the entire system is it's a term that was usually used in regards to medicine and in the medical field that refers to a disease that has taken over the whole body. So not just one organ system, but the whole body like cancer is seen as a systemic disease because it affects the entire body. Some little quick examples to add context. So higher rates of arrest, imprisonment, and use of excessive force. Um, Lower rates of hiring compared to white candidates. Lower wages than white people for the same job. Twice the rate of infant mortality. Less access to educational, financial, housing, and healthcare resources. These are all examples of systemic racism or institutionalized racism. Because it affects, it's about a whole system. It's affecting the entire system itself. Systematic. So systematic is thorough, intentional, methodical, and implemented according to a plan. So something that is systematic is done to a specific plan and it's pretty much like the A, B, C, like it's the it's the steps to something, right? So an example of systematic racism is if you were to use a phrase that more, so it looks more like explicit racism. So something that's more direct and I guess just, yeah, more direct, more hard hitting, like in your face type of thing. So like I said, an example would be, if someone, if an employer refused to hire or even interview a person that applied for a job because they f- seem like they come from a different ethnicity group. Or if they were black or whatever it may be. So those are the differences between the two. There are a lot of inter-like overlap between something. So like there might be systematic things that happens within a systemic issue. I guess for me, that's where the confusion comes in. It's kind of hard to think of what is what. It's kind of hard to... Is a muddy waters for some people? Also, like just in the speaking of the words... Like you, you think of systematic being the whole system part. Like, right, you think of that, I guess, affecting the whole system because you hear the word systematic versus systemic, you don't really hear the word as much. But it can definitely be confusing. And hopefully this episode can clarify some things for you. Um, hopefully it can clarify some things for us. And you know, again, this is all learning. So if you do have a better understanding of certain some of these things or you have some things to put in. Of course, always comment, you know, let us know what these what your thoughts are and everything.
0: Before we get into the different systems, mm-hmm. I guess, that we're going to be discussing today. I just want to point out that even within understanding the definitions of systemic and systematic, I don't see them as being mutually exclusive. I feel as though within each system, they both the systematic and systemic uses of oppression
1: mm-hmm. helps
0: to perpetuate the other. Yeah. So as we're discussing these different systems, we try to break down like, is this systemic versus systematic oppression? But some of these cases, there really is a lot of overlap. So if you see some things differently, let us know.
1: So there's a lot of systems, of course, like we throughout this episode, we've touched on so many different ones, not just the episode, but just this season in general, we touched on um, so many different systems. But for this and to highlight, I guess, different things, we wanted to pull out three specific ones. So the first one being healthcare, care. Mm-hmm. And pretty much how healthcare affects just blackness, black women specifically. There's a lot of just, I don't know, there's plenty of stories. I feel like almost every black woman has some type of story when they went to the hospital or went to go see a doctor where they were misdiagnosed. Or they their symptoms weren't paid attention to, or they weren't taken seriously, and like I feel like it comes from this overarching idea that Black people have a different, a higher one, higher higher tolerance for pain, and then also not realizing that different symptoms, like symptoms, can look differently for Black people than they do for White people.
0: Mm-hmm. I personally haven't, at least I don't think I haven't experienced that, but one of my close friends. She, when we were in undergrad, she, we didn't know at the time, but she had the flu. And prior to her going to the hospital, she ended up passing out just because she was still trying to move as if she was at 100 percent. And she was not. And when she passed out, you know, people called the ambulance. She was sent to the hospital and they were doing a whole bunch of unnecessary tests. And because she was out of it, she really wasn't able to fully consent to them. But they sent her home like nothing was wrong with her. And it didn't it wasn't until something else drastic happened where she went and got tested and they're like oh you have the flu so little and that's part of the reason why she's Mm -hmm. interested in wanting to be in the medical field because she doesn't want what happened to her to happen to other people my mom was also telling me a story about how her primary care doctor anytime that she would go to him and and explain different things that were going on to her he just had this like nonchalant i don't really care type of Aura about him, type of uh, demeanor, and she was telling me like, Brianka I, ha- I have to get a new doctor because he genuinely does not care about me. And then, oh, I, I don't know if this has to do with. I, I'm sorry, I just got an idea. I don't know if this has to do with race and the idea of of black women having a higher tolerance or black people in general having a higher higher tolerance. But I'm my mother's firstborn, and. She had to have an emergency C-section for me because of, you know, health complications. But she was telling me that they didn't give her enough. I don't know. I've obviously never had a child, so I don't know (laughs) if it's part of the epidural, if it's the anesthesia. I don't know because you're awake. When you're having a C-section. So I don't know what they needed to give her more of. But she said that when they first started to to do the C-section, she could feel them cutting her. Like she had to tell them like, yo, I can feel that. Give me give me more of whatever because I'm not supposed to feel anything. Again, I don't know if that's due to them just miscalculating things due to her size or whatever, or if that was truly just like, oh, she can handle this type of. Uh, scenario
1: it's it's really like to look at the numbers of like how high infant mortality is for black youth for for black babies and also the mortality rate for black women who are giving birth it's sick like just to see the difference and a lot of it is because i feel like it's this idea that that black people again they they can sustain more pain or like they if they come in they complain about i know a lot of doctors i've heard that a lot like nurses or whatever they don't take like a lot of black patients uh seriously because they feel like they're complaining or like they're being difficult um is that pain that picture of of like to excuse not doing your job for the most part that's of course this is that i feel like is a clear example of systemic like that's a whole that's an issue within the system itself of of the healthcare and medicine that that there's a problem like there even i saw on twitter it was a book like in a medical book like from someone who's in med school it was a book that literally said something about like how black people had higher tolerance and pain and like it was literally talking about like the difference between pain levels and stuff like that between races when there's really no like actual I i don't believe there's any actual science behind that to prove that black people can handle more pain i know when i was so last year I had to go to the hospital. I had my appendix end up bursting. Surprise, like, randomly bursting. Well, it was I had appendicitis. And I ended up go to the hospital after being hard-headed and not going the whole day. <laughs> but I ended up going to the hospital and... I told, when you know I checked it. I actually couldn't even walk. Like, they had to wheel me in, like, put me in a wheelchair and, like, take me to the front desk or whatever. I told them what was going on, my symptoms, whatever. And the nurse was like, all right, cool, you know, I'm going to write you down. And they leave me put me in the waiting room. I was in the waiting room for about, like, a good, like, hour and a half before the doctor came to see me. Still in pain, like, still sitting there in pain. And if you've never had appendicitis or went through that process, so it kind of feels like a cramp on your right side, like your lower abdomen. But it's very tight. And it's like a very sharp pain. So I was literally sitting there in pain the whole time. The doctor finally came, told her my symptoms and she's like, okay, so it sounds like this. She literally said, it sounds like appendicitis, but we're going to do a CAT scan and to be able to confirm exactly, then know how to move on. I probably waited for a good five hours in the waiting room, like four to five hours before, from, from when I talked to the doctor to... When they actually gave me, like, started doing everything they were supposed to be doing, it was literally probably like a good five hours. And I was out of it. Like, I was literally in and out of sleep. It was a point where I literally didn't feel anything anymore. And my mom, she ain't not. She was like, that's probably when your appendix bursts. So they moved me from the general waiting room to another little room where they, like, took a urine sample. And my mom called me. Like, she was calling my phone. So I'm I'm in Texas. My family's in Florida. So she's, of course, is kind of freaking out because she's gone. And... I'm, she called me like are, are you did you get your, your scan yet and I was like no I told them I asked them when when it is they kept saying that you know there's a line there's a waiting list whatever you'll be next up blah 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 so my mom hangs up with me call call the hospital the nurse that I'm in the room with she picks up and the nurse literally says yeah we're waiting for the results from whom because I haven't gone yet and it was literally that easily for like I I don't know what the mix-up was I don't know what the issue was but for me, I have to wait that long in there, and then after my surgery and everything, one of the doctors told me like you could have died because all of the the toxins of when your appendix burst was literally floating through your body. So that was an example. I feel like that's an example of just not listening to or not putting these these bodies that you could be protecting and taking care of, not putting them as a priority in your facility. And this is supposed to be one of the best. This is supposed to be one of the best hospitals in Houston. But you know, that's just me and my little my low appendix. That's I'm no longer here. <laughs>
0: After hearing about the passing of uh, Chadwick Bozeman, I was speaking with my mom about just healthcare in general, mm-hmm. and I had seen a post by someone. She's—I feel like she's like in like health administration or something like that. Is that a thing? Like health policy? administration? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a thing.
0: Okay, so she was posting on her Instagram how, for insurance to cover colonoscopies in order to detect cancer, majority of the time you have to be about 50, because that's when scientifically it's been shown that that's when cancer starts to, I guess, multiply within the body. But the fact that Chadwick was diagnosed at 39, insurance wouldn't have covered it. So I was talking with my mom about that and she was like, well, you know, if there's a history of you having whatever type of cancer, whatever type of illness in your family, insurance will still cover for you to be able to have those tests done try to detect it within your system. But I started thinking to myself, there's a couple issues within that for the Black community. One, there's a stigma when it comes to going to doctors, going Mm to psychologists, whatever it may be, in order to get treatment because one of the treatment of, I guess, on a personal level, not talking about diagnosing and uh, medicine, but like the treatment from the individual that you're working with. Mm -hmm. And two, because of the stigma, like, oh, nothing's wrong with me because... We wait until it's too late and then something is wrong. But on the other hand, if I have if if insurance will only cover for me to get these tests based on the fact that I have a family history of whatever illness. And I just said that a lot of times black people don't go to the doctor. They don't know their family history when it comes to their medical needs. How are you able to really say, like, oh, I need to get tested for this because yeah. I know that this runs in my family and I want to make sure that I don't have it. And I feel like that's also part of the disconnect when it comes to Black people going to the doctor because it really doesn't cater to our personal needs. It doesn't Mm -hmm. cater to like the same thing within education. We're trying to use this cookie cutter format, this cookie cutter layout of how to work with different people and how to cater to different people. But we all aren't shaped like the gingerbread man. Like we, we have different curves and different grooves that need to be catered to. So that plays into the systemic?
1: Yes. Uh, Yes. That's because it's the issue with the whole system. The whole system. Yes. Yes.
0: Plays into the systemic aspect of oppression because we really are trying to move as if everyone is the same or even if they're not the same, it's because they have a higher pain tolerance or you waited too long to come to the doctor. Mm -hmm. But I waited too long because I know that with me going to the doctor, it's not going to be an experience that's enjoyable.
1: Yeah. And there's a there's a mistrust between like the black community and medicine that goes with from you, being used as experiments, right? The, the, like the Tuskegee, like, like the syphilis is, incident.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: there's a history, a long term history of, of black the black community not trusting healthcare because of the different different injustices that would happen within that. Mm-hmm. So, and nothing in healthcare has, I think, for me, nothing in healthcare has changed to remedy or like kind of reassure the black community that things are better mm-hmm. or like they will be taken better care of mm-hmm. so those are all systemic things issues with the system within itself right so now it's hard to name say something is systematic because again with something that's systematic you have to be able to say that there is a plan it's going by a method dah, 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 right and that kind of some of it can sound kind of like you know conspiracy theory ish like if you just Saying oh they did it's for this reason that are da, da without like any like guaranteed proof, but mm. stuff happens that looks that's kind of hard to ignore like food deserts if you go in the hood, you're not gonna find any like major like at least no major grocery stores you're not gonna find any whole foods like the I remember when I lived in Jacksonville the north side is it's really hard like to find like a good like a grocery store like a healthy grocery store to go to, but you can find the checkers. You can find Popeyes you can find like you can find McDonald's all this quick cheap access to the food, but like the healthier like better stuff that's better for you that like can uh, will affect your health is not in those areas, whether that's done to a plan or not that's you know that's no, an argument no but-
0: <laughs> I, listen, I I disagree with you on that. I feel like it's very deliberate. I feel as though because think about it when 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 these businesses these corporations are thinking about different areas for them to be able to Mm -hmm. open different stores that are a part of their franchise, they're thinking of where am I able to get the most profit? Where am I going to ensure that we're going to have customers and we're going to be able to make sales on a consistent basis, right? And because the areas where there tends to be a food desert are usually, how can I say this? Not as affluent. It's really easy for them to be written off as like, oh no, that's not a good place Mm -hmm. or... Whether it be because crime rates are high or literally just because people don't have as much money, as much resources, it's really easy to be like, okay, I want to make sure that I'm opening my business in a quote unquote good area. So I feel as though it's it's very deliberate in the places where you have McDonald's and Checkers and Taco Bell on every corner. It's also very deliberate because the most unhealthy foods are the cheapest, cheapest. in order to buy. Yeah. And they understand like, OK, these people in this area are going to be more attracted to these lower prices because it's within their budget and it's quick, regardless of how healthy it is for them. So I I don't think that it's, it's something that is not a part of the conversation. I feel like that's a very deliberate action. They know exactly what they're doing.
1: And, I, and it goes to also the placement of, like, urgent care centers, like, the little, like, clinics that you can go to. Those are very hard to find in, like, in more progress areas. And it's not as if, like, the need's not there. Like, if I want to go to, like, a lot of people, like, if you want to go get a checkup, you literally have to go travel to get a checkup. So what what about the family that doesn't have a car or has a one car with t- two or three other people who will work separately? Like, that's not, healthcare is not put in a, as a priority it's literally seen as a luxury at that point because i had to go travel to this to get a, a checkup i had to go travel here to go get whatever it might be to get good food like healthcare, healthy food all that stuff isn't being written off in like place as a luxury when it literally should be something that is a basic necessity
0: mm-hmm. i'm actually really glad that you brought that up because it just shows the difference between how our society is functioning versus other places. So in Canada, their taxes are higher in order to help pay for everyone to have healthcare. Literally, mm-hmm. everyone has health care. And it's not a matter of if you can afford it or not. It is a basic need for them. Whereas here, it's seen as a luxury. And I think that that also just continues to perpetuate the idea that everyone is... Ooh, I don't even want to say this word. <laughs> that everyone is not deserving of of a higher quality of life mm-hmm. that I, not not even just a higher quality that everyone is not deserving of life that is oh
1: yeah yeah there's a reason there's multiple reasons why i didn't go to healthcare. but that's it's just a lot because like once you're in it, one it takes you forever to get your degree and to be able to be a doctor and all this stuff <laughs> but it's like what you're once you're in it i feel like it's very hard to really make change to shape change in that because a lot of it is so deeply rooted into the system of health care is like how but actually I take that back I take that back because that's almost everything i'm going into the criminal justice system working in education all these are very ingrained like all the issues i'm trying to address are very ingrained so i take that back if you in medicine i was really
0: about to say (laughs) you must have forgot what we're doing (laughs)
1: um yeah i I take that all the way back if you in medicine make your change shake tables all that stuff because the people definitely need it um and they definitely deserve better
0: (laughs) all right let's move on
1: (laughs) all right so the next one is labor so the labor force, working, hiring, all that stuff.
0: Where are you going to start with this one, Case?
1: <laughs> all right, we're on, we're on the realm of doing systemic first, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like within labor, a lot of the systemic... Oh, wait, it don't... There's an overlap. There's an overlap. There's an overlap. Because I was about to say, from the example I gave earlier, where an example of systematic racism is something that's more explicit. So like the example was uh, an employer not interviewing somebody because that they're a person of color that Mm. is that's and i was about to say i was about to say that systemic racism within labor is kind of goes along with implicit bias but that's not true like systematic racism within labor goes with implicit bias because if you Mm -hmm. look at so we there's a study done when it comes to um like law firms whatever and it was sent to different briefs like different attorneys sent different briefs and one of like one brief will have a black sounding name, another one will have a, a white sounding name, but it'll be the exact same brief. The supervisor and attorney will, of course, like tear down the the black sounding name like a lot more harsher. It was it was just a lot. The supervisor and attorneys were a lot rougher reviewing the black sound the brief from the black sounding name versus the mm-hmm. white sounding name, with which again the briefs would be the, exactly the same. So mm-hmm. that is It's like it was like is that systematic? I mean, is this systematic because is that intentional? Like, am I intentionally, can implicit bias be, like implicit bias is not supposed to be intentional, it's supposed to be implicit.
0: I see where you're getting. Okay, so (laughs) what I was going to say was I could see that as being systematic because that's more of like a, on a individual basis. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm the person reviewing these. And if I'm more appeased by this white sounding name, I'm going to go with that. But the fact that this happens across uh, different fields, whether it it stems across different levels of occupation, fields, location, I feel like that makes it more systemic because at this point, it's not even a matter of, oh, you got to be careful when you go into the criminal justice field or anything that has to do with law because this is an issue. Like, no, it's whether you're within criminal justice, you're in health, you're in education you just trying to work at McDonald's. Like it, mm-hmm. it really, it stems across the board as a, an issue. So I think even though it is on a more individual basis, as far as the interaction,
1: the it's practice a itself. systemic. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. It's a systemic form of oppression for sure.
1: Okay. Yeah. See, that's this, that's what we're talking about. A lot of this can be muddied. Like the water, it can definitely be muddy between the two. I do have an example of something that is systemic. So okay. and it is touching multiple, multiple systems not the background like criminal background checks and then also the like the basically how hard it is for like fellas or people who are in jail to be able to get into labor mm-hmm. like people who've been arrested been in jail whatever they get they did their time they serve the time get out try to do, get an honest job but how hard it is for them to be able to get a job even if it's like a non-violent felony or something like that it's still very hard for them to get a job which again can push them right back into crime mm-hmm. that's something is that's something that I feel like is very systemic because it's literally a gatekeeper in regards to who is able to access this wealth. Labor, being able to get into the labor field and working, like, all that stuff is being able to have access to wealth. So, like, having that, that's a, like, a system that keeps certain populations out of, and I know you're finna go. I already feel like we you're finna go. <laughs> I already feel it. I already feel it. Go ahead. I'm gonna see your problem right here. Go
0: ahead. Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, I'm gonna try to not snap when I say this. <laughs> And second of all, this was kind of explained in a sermon that I was watching this morning, so I have to touch on it now. Okay, so you said that this kind of connects two different systems. It's the criminal justice system, so let's talk about it. Okay, so the fact that um, police were first used as a form to guard slaves, and then, oh, you can't, slavery has been abolished, but the only area within the Constitution that allows for you to still have enslaved people Mm -hmm. is within the 13th Amendment. The fact that these businesses, these corporations are are conducting background checks is just another manner of keeping people oppressed, keeping people down. And even thinking of. So you you brought this to my attention, but there was someone who was working within the educational nonprofit that we were a part of. Right. And something that happened on their juvenile record was stopping them from okay, being yeah. able to work within the the school. Now, I understand that working with kids, that's that's a, a really touchy subject. They want to make sure that they're presenting people who have a quote-unquote clean record to work with these kids. But on the flip side of that was... Hold on. Before I go to the flip side, was that person a person of color? Yes. Wait, 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 wait. wait. That was a person of color. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my 10th grade year of high school my English teacher I remember this man like very vividly was fired because he was watching and I'll just say he was watching he was watching pornography on the school computer right but because he had no priors he was still hired and able to work within the classroom so it's it's I can't even get my words together because that really just has me like really fueled the fact that I, I have no words, Leah. Yeah, I have no
1: worries. So in the situation that you were speaking about with the, the person who was applying. So it was a point of time when I was working with that nonprofit, I was working on the recruitment and hiring aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so the gentleman that he literally did everything, very excited. I spoke to him multiple times, very excited to, like, to get into it. I met him. The record was sealed. All they did when they did, they did the background check and they seen that there was something sealed on his record. So they don't even mm-hmm. know what it was. They just seen something on his juvenile record was sealed. They called him, asked him to, to unseal it, which you had to pay for. You got, like, the person themselves, I have to pay to get my record unsealed. So the, he would have to pay for them. He would have to pay for his record to be unsealed so they could go in there and then see what he, whatever that record was and then determine whether or not he was able to access the job. When he asked, am I going to be reimbursed? if i don't get the job for having to pay to get my record unsealed they said no Mm -hmm. so uh, and then again i'm learning currently learning juvenile law um the whole purpose of juvenile law is it's supposed to be for civil litigation it's not supposed to to be under a crime it's civil litigation meaning when it's sealed it's on your record as a juvenile and it's not supposed to be accessed that's something that happened then it's done through pretty much through civil court right and the whole point of it is for rehabilitation, not punishment. That's supposed to be the the goal of, of juvenile court. So why now is this whatever he mistake he made as a juvenile that he was it was sealed, you know, got over? He's an adult now. Now why is that stopping him from getting a job? It's literally going against what the whole purpose of the system system supposed to be. Okay.
0: <laughs> what the last part of what you said made me think of something else. So I hope that I remember that. Just rem- remember the purpose of the system, just in case I forget. All right. So ultimately, with both the criminal justice system and what we're discussing within labor is all about access. Mm-hmm. That's the way I'm viewing it, because if I have the access and the resources to be able to enter a work field without being questioned by my name, without being questioned about my background, then I have more opportunity and I'm it's gonna be easier for me to advance regardless of how clean my record may be and the quality of my work versus me coming from a background where you may have never heard my name before. A lot of people think my name is ghetto and I've never thought my name was ghetto just based on the fact of I'm I wouldn't consider myself ghetto ghetto mm-hmm. what how is a name? ghetto that's again another conversation (laughs) because ghetto itself is not an adjective anyway so me presenting myself in a manner that is unfamiliar to you me possibly having some type of criminal record regardless of how extensive the crime may have been me having an education the fact that jobs secretarial jobs you need to have a bachelor's and even then you still have you're only getting paid $10 an hour. What? Like, that's absolutely crazy to me. Or the fact that you have to have experience to Mm -hmm. be able to be hired for something that's supposed to be an entry-level job. All of these things are screaming access. If you've had access to these opportunities, you've had access to these experiences, then you are able to work within our environment. But if you haven't really refined yourself in a manner where you can present well within our company then unfortunately you just don't have the qualifications that's how they try to present it yeah okay so the other thing was the purpose of the system and again i touched on this when it came to education about trying to making sure that you have the correct key for the correct lock i i truly believe that everything that has been implemented to this day has been on purpose. Mm -hmm. And these systems are functioning in a manner to elevate one population and then continue to oppress another. That is not on purpose. If if it was on purpose, I feel like it would have just randomly happened within one system or there would have been a time period where like, oh, we made a decision and we didn't realize like this was going to be the consequence. Let's reverse that. But for this to have been the norm within the United States of America for as long as it has been, and it's just continued to take different forms as we realize the different areas of which these systems are oppressing people, is very intentional. Because if I'm going to say like, oh, okay, we realize that having enslaved people is wrong. Okay, so let's abolish abolish slavery, but we're going to still have people who are enslaved within the criminal justice system and then now that people are starting to realize that like lord knows what other form this may take but all it's doing is just shifting the focus until people realize yeah. like oh this is wrong let's change it
1: yeah another example unpaid internships because one thing mm-hmm. in law school that they tell you oh don't shy away from the unpaid internship Da-da-da-da. that is a privilege and it's discriminatory because if i go through a semester a summer or whatever of a- doing any type of unpaid internship that's the bills that's not getting paid my mom and dad aren't paying my bills i don't have like a surplus of other money coming in that will pay my bills that i'm able to have the luxury of taking it like unpaid internship the times Mm -hmm. i have done an unpaid one i had to work one or two other jobs to make sure that that unpaid one the experience i was getting for that was worth worth it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that's another like 'Cause that's how people get experience, especially in law school. Like your your internships is a, a big part of how you get your experience. So when you you get out of the, the school, when you get out of school, you get into work field, you say, Oh, I have this experience do X, Y, and Z. But if all the the internships and stuff in your field are unpaid and you're not in this position to to work for free, and these don't be only be like twenty hours a week, they literally be like 40 hour a week internships unpaid. That mm-hmm. is discriminatory. It's like a, another gatekeeping type of thing. I'm going to let the people in who have this. I'm allowed access to people who can't afford this or who who has Mm -hmm. the privilege or the other resources, because apparently the people who have those resources are the type of people that we want in our business anyways.
0: Mm -hmm. I've also had an issue with that (laughs) pretty much within these past few years since I graduated from college and one of my friends. I'll speak on behalf of both of us. So... We are both looking to further our education. You know, I want to go to grad school. She wants to go to med school. And in order to make us more well-rounded applicants, we've been looking to try to find research opportunities. We've been looking to try to find jobs within the fields that we're wanting to go into. Just anything that can add to our resume that we can speak on, but also that's enjoyable to us. And currently I'm doing, I, I am in a research assistantship, but I'm putting in hours for work that I'm not being compensated for. And because of that, I find myself putting in more effort in the things that I am getting compensated for because that's what's sustaining my lifestyle. Right. So I was talking with my sister and she was like, Oh, why don't you ask the professor you're working with? If you can get paid one, I'm not even a student at the school. So it's not even like I can use that as work study or anything like that. And two Because I came to them asking for this opportunity, Mm -hmm. how am I then going to turn around and be like, hey, could you pay me for this? Like, (laughs) so it's an issue post-grad as well, because when you're looking into these different universities and their qualifications for the students that they're admitting, the standards are really high and they expect for you to have all of these experiences while you're still in undergrad but again a lot of people don't either they don't know what they want to do by the time Mm -hmm. they are in undergrad because most people are 18 to 21 22 or a lot of things happen in undergrad so that they're not able to access these different opportunities that would help them get to whatever level so
1: but next to the next one right housing so much within housing like We've already talked about redlining. We we thought food deserts also go into housing. You know, we can talk about gentrification. We can talk about environmental racism. It's a lot. It just, I, what's, I guess the battle with, for this episode, at least, is determining what is systemic and what is systematic, right? I would put, for this one, so we've been saying stuff that's been systematic first, I mean, systemic first. But I have some examples of systematic things that's been going on with housing. That's been, like, very apparent, I guess, in my life, I guess. So, I'm originally from West Palm Beach, Florida, South Florida. And if you know anything about Florida in general, especially South Florida, the cost of living is pretty high. Like, to buy a regular three-bedroom house, you can find, like, a five-, six-bedroom house in Georgia type of thing. It's kind of rough. And recently, my family has been trying to, like, they've been living in different places, but they've been trying to prepare themselves to, to be able to buy a house. So, you know, getting their credit uh, together, saving up money for a down payment, all this stuff, Try, preparing, doing what they need to do, their due diligence to prepare to buy a house. A couple years ago, the first place they stayed there for about a good couple years, renting a house, they were renting a house. And then the association changed the requirements for the house. So you either had to before you either had to be able to put like three, three times the rent, make three times the rent or have a certain credit score. But then they changed it to and you have to have three times the rent and the credit score because of the new requirements my parents couldn't um they didn't fit in that that box so they had to move and then as the process of the moving they recently had to move again because they didn't want to be under that same company anymore so they were looking at different places to live and all of these places despite how much someone could bank they use credit score at the end of the day as a gatekeeper of who can live in these certain neighborhoods and that is that's without a doubt intentional like they know exactly what they want their the makeup of their neighborhood to look like. They know who they want into that neighborhood. And they associate this credit score will be with this type of people. And it's it's intentional because they don't want people to have access because a better neighborhood, better schools, better access. Like we already said better access to healthier food and um better access to health care, better jobs. Like the area that you live in gives you access to all these better things. So if I only want the makeup of my neighborhood or my, my sac or whatever to have this build up, I'm put up these different requirements so I can make sure that I can maintain the purity of my neighborhood.
0: You put that as... Systematic. systematic.
1: Systematic. Because it's I feel like it's very intentional and it goes along with the plan of when to keep a neighborhood the way that they want it.
0: But is it not a part of the whole system?
1: It can, I feel like it also... it It kind of goes also with the labor thing because... I don't know how about everywhere, but especially like where my where my parents live, a lot of houses are owned by rental companies. So it's these companies that are doing these different things that's serving as gatekeepers. Because there's one house that my parents was asking about, they applied for, and my mom called the owner of the house, and the owner was like, "I like you, I will rent to you, but it's this house is under this this mm-hmm. company right now."
0: It's just, it's really interesting to me how out of all the systems that we've we've been discussing they overlap with other systems. But I feel Mm -hmm. as though housing is really the root of a lot of the issues that come up within the other systems. Yeah, Because within housing, like you were touching on, depending on your location, you you could have access to healthcare or not. You could have access to healthy foods or you could live in a food desert. You could have access to A schools or you could have access to C schools or D schools. And then also within that, you could have, you could live in an area where you're in a gated community and you have security guards. Or you could live in an area where, what was that theory, like the broken window theory, where things mm-hmm. are not being upheld. And because of that, crime rates are more prevalent. It's just housing is a huge foundation, or even yeah. just the ability to find places. I know that within the line of work that I was most previously in, I worked in dependency and the, One of the big barriers for parents wanting to be reunified with their children was housing. And whether that's because of their income, whether that's because they've applied for Section 8 and the waiting list is just extremely long. There's just not enough houses for the amount of people who are applying. Like there were just so many barriers when it came to housing. And because of that, it trickled into, well, I'm working, so I'm not able to to call these different places or I'm not able to visit these different Mm -hmm. places or I have to make sure that I have good child care because I have a young one who's not in school yet. I need to make sure I have good child care in order for me to be able to go to find these different places. And because I'm not able to send my child to daycare or I don't have any family members who are able to tend to them. I am I either have to take my child with me. And then especially during these these COVID times, mm-hmm. it's that's dangerous. So the ability for people to have housing to own their house is uh, just a really big issue and it trickles into so many other systems.
1: Owning property is one of the first steps of creating generational wealth. Like mm-hmm. owning property... First of all, land itself has always been attached to wealth and to class. Like owning land... And it's
0: also been used as a way to uh, deny access for yeah. certain groups of people.
1: Mm-hmm. I remember... I don't remember the exact time period, but before, of course, women's rights really became a thing, a woman could not have the right to own the own property. Mm-hmm. So even if she was married and then she her, her spouse died, she had to get, either get remarried or she had to have a son with that property could be named after. And again, that's a way to make sure that women did not have access, did not have power. Because again, property was entitled to power. And it still mm-hmm. is. Like, it still... Attached to, to, like I said, generational wealth and status. Um, being able to mm-hmm. own your home, own land. That is big, big part. So, of course, it's so many barriers to property and, and housing and everything like that. Because it's one of the things that once I get this... All this other stuff can easily start trickling for me.
0: Mm -hmm. It's also from a business aspect, too, because part Mm -hmm. of the reason that McDonald's is so successful is because the owner, founder, someone who, who works within McDonald's wasn't the reason that they were trying to go after these very marketable locations. Like if you realize McDonald's is usually like on a corner, like a very high traffic corner
1: easily the highway
0: right and it wasn't because they were wanting to necessarily sell the food to the people there but they knew that if they had multiple locations in very marketable areas high traffic areas that their business would thrive so McDonald's yes it's a restaurant but it's really an a, a real estate business because mm-hmm. the more property that they have the more ownership that they have the better that their business will be able to to function
1: is Like, we've we've said this, and we're, I I don't know, I think just speaking about it out loud and, like, actually having a discussion about it for the first time, you really do get to see how powerful just housing and all that stuff is. Because to think about how they pushed out, and this is, it goes along with gentrification, but before, like, that was even a term, how they pushed out like black populations or black communities from neighborhoods because they wanted that land because that land was seen prof- as profitable like in mm-hmm. palm beach palm beach island was literally an island where it was a black community like black people lived on palm beach island they literally like tricked everybody to get off the island burned the island like tore everything down and then built mansions on the island trump mm-hmm. currently has a mansion on the island
0: i don't i don't i don't talk about 45
1: All right, so (laughs) but I'm saying like that's like an example of how they they've always used and even like the type of whatever land they do give to black people or to impoverished people, yeah, they even govern that and they when they decide i want it back They, they redo it they beautify the neighborhood they they're Mm -hmm. introducing all these different things and then raising property taxes having now these people can't afford rent anymore because rent just went up and they went from living in a session session eight like affordable housing to now their rent is way past what they can afford and now they have to move again and we already discussed Mm -hmm. the hardship it is to find a place when you're moving
0: Mm-hmm. The place where I was able to really see this firsthand was in Frenchtown. Yes, so, in yes. Tallahassee, um, literally like across the street from Florida State's campus, is an area, historically black area called Frenchtown. And uh, Tallahassee has started to, not even started, continuously built these apartment complex, parking garages, dorms, and it's like slowly seeping into Frenchtown. And it's it's literally just pushing people out, like it's yeah it's erasing an entire culture that has that's a part of Tallahassee, but because of greed, because of money, mm-hmm. power, we don't need you. So excuse me, yeah. <laughs> let me build my apartment complex where I can get more money than leasing this to you. And to touch
1: on to something else, uh, where you you were talking about how they say people say your name is ghetto, and how mm-hmm. ghetto is not an adjective.
0: It's not.
1: It's <laughs> not right. So then. We gotta talk about ghettos. We gotta talk about how these environments that people now want to call ghettos, how they came about and just the history of them how literally well first of all, it was Irish, like it was other european immigrants that came and lived in these neighborhoods black people began to move into those neighborhoods then you had the white flight and when the white people left all the tenants not tenants all the landlords and people who are in charge of property stopped taking care of it Mm -hmm. and that's so it wasn't necessarily that black people came in and tore stuff up it was literally they stopped coming and taking care of the property because black people were there Mm -hmm. now this area that people moved to because it was affordable is now considered a ghetto and now is not people don't want to live there no more now it's considered with violence and all this stuff where all that happened is that you literally took all the resources that was already there and you moved them because black populations moved in
0: Mm -hmm. i don't know if i explained the broken window theory when i discussed it earlier but that is what happens in these ghettos is a prime example of the broken window theory. Mm-hmm. So basically when something's already broken, when something is not upkept and it's not presented as desirable, it's more likely for crime to happen. And with because these ghettos were not upkept by both the landlords or and unfortunately the tenants, mm-hmm. it's it's become a very degraded community. So once you take out the resources and once you are in an area that is deemed as undesirable, it's it's literally a matter of, one, fighting for resources, which is part of the reason that crime is higher in those areas. But two, it's like, well, dang, if y'all don't care about this area, why should I care about it? Mm-hmm. Which is another reason why crime is so prevalent in those areas. So it's really a double-edged sword because on one end y'all really don't care about it which mm-hmm. is part of the reason that the area has not been upkept but on the other end the message being sent to the people who are living there that that the people who own the area don't care as a result the tenants don't care and they don't upkeep, upkeep it either so it just continues to yeah to and fall.
1: and it's seen in so like where during different the, the protests when riots would break out and people were like why are you burning down your own neighborhood the people who were burning down these neighborhoods they do not equate that environment as their neighborhoods like mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't see value in that neighborhood or in value into that environment because they seen how the rest of like. The, the landlords or whoever else, they seen how people treated that neighborhood. So they're just like that's not mine. I don't own that. And even the idea of lack of ownership. I don't own that. So why do I have to take care of this thing, type of type of thing? Versus the mm-hmm. older people who live in that neighborhood who probably own those houses and own that stuff did have that sense of ownership about it. All, all in all, as a levy, I mean, we gotta own. We gotta we gotta own, take care, like own stuff, take care of it, build it up, be able to pass it, pass it on to our children and the next generations because as we've discussed, housing itself is the gatekeeper so once we get into having owning our land and owning stuff we're we're really going to be able to like really be kind of unstoppable yeah not because there's barriers within owning land that they only put on black people like you know the state coming to check on your house unnecessarily it's just a lot of other things now once you own land you have to be able to overcome but own the land get into that space and then take on those next challenges so we can continue to be great and like honestly start Debunking and defusing all these other issues that's in mm-hmm. these other systems.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So those were the three systems that we had set out to talk to or talk about for today. But something that you may have realized is we didn't start this episode with the quote. We didn't mm-hmm. forget. We just <laughs> placed it towards the end because we wanted to be able to end with a positive note mm-hmm. versus a snap in on <laughs> the shortcomings of these systems. So our quote for today comes from Cornel, Cornel, How do you think you say his first name? Cornell. I say
1: Co- Cornel. I've okay. never met it a Cornel.
0: From- oh, <laughs> I guess I just made up somebody's name. So Cornell West and he says, None of us alone can save the nation or the world, but each of us can make a positive difference if we commit ourselves to do so. Part of the reason that we are using this platform and even just the work that we do is because we want to be able to make, even if it's just 1% of a difference, we want to be a part of that difference. So at least this quote for me, I'm passing it along to you all to really just inspire you all to take initiative to leave this world better than what we came into. Because obviously there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of room for improvement. And if we are just accepting what is being given to us, we're never going to be able to move forward as a nation.
1: Yeah. I'll, this season in general. And the reason that we started off with this season talking about systems is because these are discussions that, especially right now in the midst of everything going on, that needs to be needs to be had and in depthly had like and be able to discuss presenting facts but also bringing emotions and bringing it to real life and we wanted to bring you these things and hopefully that we're planting seeds that will that will you will now go on and be able to find your niche find your area that you're passionate about making a difference in and like you do that work because at the end of the day like we said there's so many things so many things wrong so many issues and if you if everyone finds their niche and be powerful and impactful in their niche We can all support each other in making up this whole overall system better for people who look like us and and people Mm -hmm. who suffer or are marginalized by these different systems.
0: Mm -hmm. So I'll put this question out there. You don't have to have an answer. We didn't have an answer, which is part of the reason we didn't (laughs) discuss it. But, you know, we usually have a question for each episode. Mm-hmm. So I will still ask you on if you have answers. Like, please let us know. And, and, and don't think that there is a right or a wrong answer, because ultimately everything that has happened up to this point has been based off of someone's opinion of a situation. So it's kind of going to be the same thing moving forward. If you have facts to back it up, that'd be great. However, the question is, what mechanisms are in place or need to be in place to address the systems that we discussed today and others? Again, if you have anything, let us know. (laughs) But without further ado, if there are no more questions, comments, or concerns, all hearts and minds are clear. Know that we love you all. Thank you for sticking with us for this first season. Continue to follow and subscribe because we do have stuff in store for season two. So be prepared for that. And thank you for listening to Higher and Learning. We'll see you next time. I got, I got, I got, I got loyalty, got loyalty inside my DNA.